Today, we're talking to Stephen Chase, sales operations lead at Operatics about humor, personality, and value. I used to do stand-up comedy back, so this was like 2016. I did it for about a year or so. It was a lot of fun. You know, I was kind of going through a phase where I wanted to try new things. This was before I met my wife, you know, so I was single and just wanted to, you know, have fun and go out and meet different communities of people. And I always thought it would be cool because I love making people laugh, go try stand-up comedy. And it was funny because I would record all of the sets that I do. And that's part of it is, you know, no different than listening to a call recording to give yourself feedback. You record your sets and you listen back to see where people laughed, where they didn't, what jokes hit, what didn't, and that sort of stuff. And it wasn't until I met my wife, Sarah, and I suggested that she go to a stand-up comedy class because she's way funnier than I am. And she went and she just did really, really well. And she was really nervous for her first open mic. So I pulled up a recording <laughs> from my first open mic, and it was literally, and people are super nice in Portland, Oregon, where I was doing stand-up at that time. But they cheered really loud at the beginning when I said it was my first open mic, and then I didn't get anything except for crickets until the very end. <laughs> it was humiliating. <laughs> and you know what? It actually wasn't really that bad, but it was pretty embarrassing, I would say. But listening back to it, that discomfort that I felt was the same discomfort that people feel when they're watching that. And that's the thing with humor is that if you do it, you're taking a chance, which is, which is good. But if you don't get it right, it's really cringy. <laughs> so if you try to be funny in your emails or over the phone and try to be really lighthearted, but it doesn't sound authentic and just feels really cheesy, you can make the prospect really uncomfortable, which is obviously the exact opposite of what you want to do. But I'm excited for our guest today because we're going to get into humor and how to really use more of your personality while also adding value into your outreach. And if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script when you're prospecting and help share proven tactics and strategies to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. So I'm talking to Stephen Chase today. He's sales operations lead at Operatics. He was referred to me by Justin Michaels. So Justin Michaels, a lot of the book Combo Prospecting was written about how Justin Michaels prospects. And I've gotten to know Justin pretty well through the virtual tour that we're doing right now. And he really knows his stuff. So anytime he gives me a recommendation, I definitely know that I need to talk to this person. And Stephen was one of those people. We had a chat and immediately what stuck out to him, uh, about to me, excuse me, about him was that he's just a funny guy. And he's, you know, he's kind of nerdy, which I consider myself kind of a nerd too. But the way that he prospects is, is very unique while still sort of staying in the lane of offering something valuable to the prospect. So what we're going to get into, he's got a three-step process that's really, really cool that he uses to you know set four or five, six meetings a week. And it's this three-step process where you explain things like your five for learning how to uh, really figure out the challenges. So getting to know the challenges of your prospect. And then he talks about building a focus group of people that you can bounce ideas off of. So other peers, which I thought was really cool. So we're going to dig into those three things. And before we get to the interview, make sure to check out um, our community. We're going to talk about some prospecting plays in this episode. And in that community, in that membership, we actually have a course called Prospecting Plays where we dissect and take little five to 10 minute clips from people like Steven and other folks that we've interviewed and then put them on a one page summary so you can start using them immediately. So if you've ever sat through a webinar or podcast like this even and thought, well, how do I actually put this into action? That's what those prospecting plays are built for. So go check that out. It's community.blissfulprospecting.com. There's a seven day free trial. You can try it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to pay for it. So go check it out, community.blissfulprospecting.com, and let's get to the interview with Steven. The sales weasel. I saw that on your LinkedIn. <laughs> and you said to ask you about it. So oh, what's man. that all about? <laughs> so that actually came about as like kind of an ironic personal branding. Um, me and one of my other co-managers, uh, we talk on Skype all day long. And he actually told me one day that one of his reps got an email from a prospect that said they loved shaming salespeople or 
excuse me, they loved shaming, quote, sales weasels on LinkedIn. So to pay attention to that or look out for it later on LinkedIn. So like he was physical or he was actually going to go and reference this guy's are one of our reps emails and shame him on LinkedIn as a quote sales weasel. So I took it upon myself as like, again, with my self deprecating humor to brand myself as a sales weasel. And I think it's funny because I love irony, but I also don't approach <laughs> my sales outreach or the way I have conversations with people as somebody just trying to get something out of them, AKA a sales weasel. Um, but Justin Michael, one of my mentors actually also has a really hilarious definition as to why being called the sales weasel is a good thing. Um, basically it dwindles down to they're killing machines and they have a pretty cool video <laughs> on YouTube of how the fact they do a war dance. <laughs> Dude, I love that. And Justin, uh, uh, he obviously recommended that I talk to you, but Justin's, uh, he's hilarious, man. But yeah. uh, so the sales weasel thing is really interesting. And um, I think this kind of plays into your personality a, a little bit too. It sounds like where you don't seem like you take yourself too seriously. Not, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm the guy that sends memes and emails and I've actually gotten a, uh, I wouldn't say flamed, but hey, don't do that on LinkedIn because ultimately it's, I guess it's frowned upon in business to send memes mm -hmm. to people, but it's like, if you want to get their attention, why not just do something funny? You know, it's like, I was that nerd in high school that people made fun of on a regular basis. So I have no mm -hmm. issue laughing at myself and I kind of take that approach. It's like, I'm going to say something serious in the first email, but you better be prepared for me to either make fun of salespeople, AKA mm -hmm. myself, or send you some memes or things along those lines. Like I've sent Morpheus memes to people like the, what if I told you something irrelevant to the content, in the email type of memes or like the, this is fine dog where he's sitting in a room that's on fire. Yeah. And it's like relating that to like a potential problem that somebody would have. And they're just sitting there not doing anything about it. Smiling. Like everything's okay. So, okay. This is interesting. Let's, let's dig into this because I think there's a couple areas where people go wrong when they try to be funny. One, if you're not funny, right? If what you do is not funny and you try to be funny, it's just awkward for everyone. It's like watching someone do stand-up comedy, which I, I used to do. And I listened back to a recording because I would record all my sets. So I could listen to the feedback and you kind of adjust your jokes. Well, my wife, Sarah, I encouraged her to do stand-up. And this is maybe six months after I got started. And she was really nervous for her first open mic. And I was like, you're going to, first off, you're way funnier than I am. But second off, listen to this recording of me doing a set for three minutes straight with literally no laughs, like zero laughs, you know? And you think about when you're watching that, which is the prospect, I always, you know, say like to really empathize with someone, like put yourself in their shoes, right? So as a prospect or someone watching a stand-up set in this case, that like weird, I'm embarrassed for you feeling that makes you just want to run away from someone when they're trying to be funny and they're just not funny. I think that's the same feeling that people get when they read an email where someone's trying to be funny and it either really pisses them off because they, it's, you know, poor taste or it's like really cringy and like, ugh, Steven would not be a fun person to talk to because he's trying to be funny and he clearly has no emotional intelligence. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I think there's a balance there, but let's get into that. Um, how long have you been selling and has this always this humor approach or kind of being a little cheeky and not taking yourself too seriously? Has that always been a part of your you know, sales style, I guess? I mean, let's see. I, I started at my company, uh, Operatics, on the sales dev side, mm -hmm. uh, March of 2018. And before that, I was doing personal training. And I mean, I really got into like when I'd approach clients, just telling them, hey, look, I used to be this nerd that was 135 pounds and really sad. And I just threw myself into fitness, learned a lot by reading a bunch of stuff and t talking to people who know more than me and all that. Um, and now, and now you're, now you're a buff nerd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the nerd that nobody wants to mess with in public. Um, but no, and I kind of applied that same approach when I started in sales development. Cause I don't really have, like, I don't have a college degree. I don't have any corporate sales experience whatsoever. Um, so I really just dove in and started asking people at Operatics that were top performers. I reached out to people like Justin Michael, Amy Quick, Dale Dupree, Patrick Downs, like a big group of people that all took similar 
personality type approaches that I wanted to take, but I wasn't sure how well it would work that were obviously doing it really well and kind of learned from them and put my own spin on it. Like I have some emails that I worked on with uh, Dale. Uh, one of the subject lines is destined for the trash folder. Yeah. And it kind of like it opens with, hey, I know or you're probably wondering about that subject line. Um, and to be honest, we all know that 90% of the sales baloney you get on a daily basis is that anyway. So I just wanted to make this email easier for you to toss. <laughs> and then it goes into, but hey, like if you take the next few seconds, uh, hopefully there's something worth exploring here. And then you just give them a quick, Boop. this is what we do. This is how we're helping you guys or helping companies similar to you do this, this, and this. Would you be open to learning more? And it's really that simple. And it's it's stuff like that. Like I have another one. Salespeople are annoying because let's face it, most of us are. It's like you get constant emails from salespeople. And it's like, um, I go into that one. That one's actually really self-deprecating. Like, hey, this would be the part of the email where, where most salespeople rattle off a bunch of features uh, and how they're the world's number one most okay product at doing blah, blah, blah. And then this would be the part where they send their calendar link and ask for 15 minutes for you to book with them. And But then it's like my part is, but hey, I just wanted to know if you'd be down and to let me open up a can on how we're helping yada 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 and then that's it like it's it's some of those things and then like if if they're if i'm using a sequencer depending on the client um i'll include the memes uh i'll include jokes it's like like i like james thornberg's joke of what do you call five cold callers at the bottom of the ocean a good know. start <laughs> like it's so, like that type of stuff. Like it's, yeah. it's those things that people don't expect on a regular basis to get in their inbox. Yeah. And yeah, to be honest, there are people out there that maybe aren't the appropriate audience and I have gotten negative responses and I, but I also get really positive responses. So it's like, it's kind of a balance in terms of like people will compliment my emails. Like I had a prospect I scheduled a meeting for last week, actually. Uh, he said, you know, I normally ignore sales emails, but most of the ones I get don't have the level of candor and on or candor and honesty that this one had. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what you guys do, even if, may, even if I maybe don't have the budget for your service. What's next? Yeah, so there's, it's like, there's several things at play, I think, going on when you can do that, have that level of candor is there's this, you know, when you can call out what someone's thinking, yeah, that's that shows emotional intelligence. It's it's a form of empathy, mm -hmm. and you know that anyone that gets an email from someone they don't know, you pretty much know what ninety nine percent of those people are thinking, and you're calling it out, and you're doing it in a way that's, you know, Sarah Drake. I don't know if you've talked to her. She would be another good person actually for you to talk with to pick her brain. But she cool. was on the podcast, and she talked about her approach was radical transparency. Yeah, prospecting. So, you know, same kind of same kind of principle. So, if we're going to start doing some of this stuff. Did this come natural for you when you started doing sales in this way or was, was there a learning curve for you or? I think ultimately it was trying to figure out like where my personality and my humor would fit because sometimes I can take it a little too far just to, just to be perfectly honest, which is why I, I send my emails to people and, that are in my circle. And it's like, Hey, is this okay to send? And then it's like, they'll either give me the yes or no, or, hey, maybe you should change this part because it might not be received too well by the audience. Um, but I mean, it was it was one of those things that it didn't really, like I didn't start out doing this. I started out doing like your typical, like the things that I make fun of now in terms of like, hey, this is the feature set that will help you guys do blah, 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 like that type of stuff. Um, and I think about six to nine months in, I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like, this isn't working very well. I'm going to try something different. And honestly, I I got told, hey, don't do that a lot by my managers at the time. Um, but I mean, ultimately, it works. And it's, it's like I said, it depends on the audience. But if if you catch them at a good time, probably 99, I wouldn't say 99% of the time, there's a good chance that you're going to get somebody and they're going to respond and they're going to appreciate the fact that it's different. Mm -hmm. So your managers were not encouraging you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and you no, just no. It anyways. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like get like yeah. I'm gonna do it, and if it works, I'm gonna come back to you and tell you that it works. If it doesn't yeah. work, then I'll be like, okay, and then I'll go back and re revisit the drawing board and see if I can smooth it out a little bit, and then we'll go back and try it again. Like that's the like that's prospecting. It's trial and error. Yeah. So 
let's um let's talk a little bit about like what do you think the baby steps are for someone and maybe just kind of what baby steps you took like what was the first iteration of what this looked like and it sounds like an important piece of this is you know have two or three other people other salespeople that you've run your ideas by mm-hmm. sometimes i do this a lot i run stuff by my wife because she has a way better knack for what people will be responsive to mm-hmm. and sometimes i think i'm being clever or funny and it's just like totally misses the mark or it's insensitive or whatever yeah but what, what are the first couple of baby steps that someone that's never done prospecting like this before like what did that look like for you like the first couple iterations of this it, like in terms of developing the messaging or in terms of like just prospecting in general? Yeah, developing the messaging and being more like it sounds like the trifecta is you have personality in there, you have your humor in there, but there's also value. Like you're also yeah. making sure it connects back to why you're actually reaching out, which is another thing that I think people miss. They just try to be funny. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what are the first couple steps in getting started? Like, what did that look like for you? It so, like- the biggest thing that I really struggled with at first was. Uh, the mentality that I have now in terms of writing, like the copyright is explain like I'm five. Um, mm-hmm. It's a big subreddit that I really enjoy. Um, anybody likes, uh, want, wants to know how to explain things simply, go go check out that subreddit. But essentially what it means is, or I guess what it entails is being able to explain the value in this instance, as if you were talking to a five-year-old. And I know that sounds kind of condescending, but mm-hmm. the way, like, obviously, you don't want to treat your prospects like a five-year-old, but you also don't want to use crazy corporate jargon that they hear on a regular basis that they're automatically going to tune out. And it was even kind of if a, they understand the corporate jargon, right? Because yeah. they hear it on a daily basis. So you being able to explain something that would apply to them in a simple fashion, just using plain language, it makes it easier to develop the messaging, and it doesn't turn out as like a bunch of jumbled words that could potentially get misconstrued as something else. And like how that came about was I actually had my four-year-old ask me what I do at work all day. And for a second, I was like, how the heck am I going to explain what I do to him? Or, and I was like, well, Bubba, uh, I call people and I try to help them fix, fix problems on their computers. Essentially, that's what I do. I'm in cybersecurity sales, and ultimately what I'm trying to help them do is fix problems related to technology. But he only understands what computers are, so it's like that just encompasses everything to him. So ultimately, like that's that's was kind of the pivotal moment. I was like, you know, if I could just do that, but also provide value, it, one, it would make my emails a lot shorter, and two, I could get to the get to the concept faster instead of having to do and explain features to explain what this value does and all that stuff. So that was the biggest thing for me is when developing copywriting is explain like I'm five. Um, the second thing is was getting to know the, the challenges that the people you're going to be reaching out to are facing on a daily basis because you can't really provide value if you don't understand what challenges they face. Now, for me, working at an agency, it's a little bit different. So we actually have to get with the clients and things like that to go back and forth and learn about what the what the challenges they're solving. So it's like they usually we usually just get the value prop of the of the 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 solution. And but we want to obviously drill it down. It's like, okay, well, what are your core titles or your ICP if you want to go acronyms? Um, and then we pick like the top three and then drill into like two to three challenges each is having. So you can develop different types of copy for that. Um, and then ultimately the third piece is finding people that are smarter than you to be able to bounce ideas off of, which we've already touched on that. But ultimately that's a big piece of how I develop, uh, how I develop and improve my copy because there's people out there that are better at writing copy than me. So obviously I want to understand how they're doing it and maybe get an idea as to how to approach an email differently or something along those lines. Dude, this is awesome. So explain like I'm five. I'm glad you made that distinction that we're not doing like, okay, Johnny, uh, we do this and you do, you know, you're not like yeah. baby talking them or doing anything silly like that. It's, it's removing does doing this naturally remove the features and benefits talk? Yeah. It's like, because, hey, you have a problem like this and here's how we can fix it. Like it's very simple. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
like I, I saw the I saw the 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 acronym keep it simple stupid mm-hmm. but I was like I prefer explain like I'm five just because it's like it makes sense like how would you explain this to a five-year-old and it's like it makes you think like oh crap how do I not go through all the overly complicated technical junk and just get to what this does yeah and it's sort of counterintuitive I would say to common advice that I hear out there around you know a couple things one the people that you're reaching out to are in security and IT, I would assume, and, and right. some, maybe maybe compliance. Um, there's like these are extremely technical people usually, and I, I would assume fairly analytical. Right. But just because they know a lot of jargon doesn't mean that you should use a lot of jargon. Exactly. And it's like talking to those people on the phone. Obviously, you have to have an in depth, uh, an in depth. Uh, excuse me, an in depth <laughs> knowledge of the product. Yeah. So if they start asking you technical questions, like my rule on the phone is answer one or two, um, because ultimately as a sales development rep, you don't want to get too in the weeds, especially if they ask you something that you don't know the answer to. You don't want to tell them the answer and be wrong. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like you want to be able to show that you're a credible resource that can understand what they're talking about and communicate in their language, but also be able to communicate the reason you're calling them in a simple fashion. So what do you do when someone asks you a really technical question? Like, do people ever test you when you call them? Uh, Most definitely. I mean, they're in security. I mean, I had somebody, I think it was at a really big pharmaceutical company, ask me how, or some particular question surrounding architecture for pharmaceuticals, or I think it was actually compliance regulations for pharmaceuticals. Um, and I didn't know the answer and I just straight up told him, I was like, listen, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, that might be for a question for my, my technical counterpart. Uh, so-and-so, um, I honestly don't know the answer and I was just up front and he was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I appreciate the honesty. And yeah, if we want to dig into that, I think we should set up some time. So, I mean, it's the, the radical transparency that you're talking about. Like, if you don't know the answer, it's easier to say, I don't know, than make something up and then then be like, well, it's actually this, this, and this. And then them just school you and destroy you on the phone. And it's almost, which is weird, pattern interrupt is a really weird concept to me because really all a pattern interrupt is just doing differently than what they normally see or hear right. or whatever, right? That doesn't mean that what they normally see or hear is a bad thing, though. Right you now, in this case, a pattern interrupt being honest in your case is a pattern interrupt, which is so crazy to me, right? Because people are so used to salespeople over promising and like lying to them that just being honest is like, oh, wow, well, I trust Steven now. He's telling me actually what he doesn't know. Exactly. And it's like, it's one of those things. And it's, you just have to be able to be upfront about it. So, like, it, they'll, they'll be able to smell if you're lying because they obviously know more than you do about what they do. So it's mm-hmm. like if you tell them something that's obviously incorrect or sounds made up, they're going to call you out on it. It's happened to me before, before I learned these lessons. Yeah. Now, this is really cool. So basically, be honest. Only answer one or two technical questions. What do you... So we're going to kind of go in and out of these three points, if that's cool with you, because there's yeah. some really good stuff that you're sharing here. You said, I only want to answer one or two technical questions. What happens when you get the sense that the person's really trying to dig in with you and get super technical on stuff that's just not even relevant to whether or not a meeting should take place? See, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a that stuff does matter in the cybersecurity space though. So mm-hmm. like if if they're asking questions, there's obvious interest. Yeah. But at the same time, that's like we have the sales engineers on the calls that take them through the technical aspects of the more like the deep in the weeds, technical aspects of, of the product. So ultimately the SDRs aren't super trained on the, in the weeds, technical architecture and compliance regulations and stuff like that. Like if somebody asked me and I'm dialing into healthcare, do you follow HIPAA compliance, which is, or high trust, which is two major healthcare compliance regulations. Obviously you want to know the answer to that, but how they, how the product aligns to that framework isn't usually trained to the lower level people. You know what I mean? Like that's a conversation to take to the sales engineers and things like that. So it's just something I round into them. Like it's, it's like, Hey, obviously you, you have some questions or, or more in-depth questions that I might not be able to answer. Um, our sales engineer, so-and-so will be on the call. So if, if you have some time uh, in the next 
however many days. I usually shoot for three days out from when I called them, um, maximum. Um, like if you have some time on Friday, we can I can write these questions down, shoot them over to so and so and so and so. They'll be on the call with us, um, and we can speak to these, and we can even drill into some other questions that you might have that you haven't expressed. So it's like taking that and that just adds to the value of the meeting because ultimately you're showing them that ultimately you don't really know. So you're being honest about the fact that you don't know, but you're also giving them the opportunity to speak to somebody who does. And it's relevant to what you were talking to them about before. So there's obviously that deep seated interest in terms of like, well, I want to know how this works. Like, what does this do to apply to me? And then you're just trying to steer them to the people that actually know the answers. Yeah. And it's weird because there's such a fine line between the two where it sounds like, again, a lot of what I hear in your response is a lot of empathy. Like you're acknowledging what you think is on their mind. Hey, I can tell you have a lot of questions about this and you probably want the answers to those. <laughs> yeah. Do, do the, I, unfortunately, I don't know some of the technical stuff and it sets up your meeting perfectly when you do it right. that way. Exactly. It's like the, it's the classic Chris Voss labeling. It sounds like you have a lot of questions or it sounds like you meet, might be interested in some of the in the weeds pro- aspects of our, of what we do and then just steering them to, hey, let me get you set up with so-and-so so we can talk about this more. Yeah. How much, speaking of Chris Voss, because I wanted to ask, because his name is getting thrown around a lot these days. Yeah. I think John Barrow is interviewing him and then Josh Braun talks about him a ton as well. Yeah. And I talk about him a little bit too, but yeah. I have found some of the stuff to be a little weird and unnatural that he recommends in a sales context. What about, what about you? Is there parts of it that you find that are just not applicable to sales? And like, what parts of it do you find that are? I, I would say most of it is, but it's, it's, it's just unnatural. Like it's not something that you think to do on a regular basis Mm -hmm. because of the cult, the sales culture that exists currently. You know what I mean? It's like ultimately like it's it's been a, an ABC sales culture. Always be closing. Always push for yes. Don't go for no. Like yeah. if no is a bad word, yada, yada, yada. But it's like the mirroring, like the mirroring, labeling, um, anchoring expectations. I don't really use that one because I feel like that's more for like later on in the sales cycle. And I've only yeah. ever been exposed to uh, pre-sales or top of funnel. So I haven't really got into like the the in-depth part of like going through the motions of closing a sale. But I feel like that one would be useful for later on. Like somebody comes back and it's like, well, hey, you're probably not going to like me after I say this and then explain to them whatever it is and just kind of get them to reduce their expect or anchor their expectations to what you're about to say. Um, but no, I definitely think labeling, mirroring, mirroring and uh, accusation audits and things like that, they definitely apply. I yeah. just think that it's... I don't want to say it's new to the sales space, but ultimately it's being talked about more, but I think it is unnatural for anyone in sales at this Mm -hmm. moment in time to do that unless it's been practiced and repeated over and over and over again. Like if I'm being honest, I don't do it nearly as often as I probably should, but it's because I don't actively practice it. And ultimately Mm -hmm. that's my problem. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because right now for the first time in sales, I would say in the last maybe two or three years, the psychology and the science behind the stuff that works and like the reasons why it either works or doesn't work is being provided. Yeah. It wasn't around when I started sales in 2008, there was a lot of guru types that would say, Hey, here's how I sold for the last 40 years when I was selling copy machines and all this other stuff. And, um, the one technique that I do find really effective is that, you know, the going for no, Hey, would it be a bad idea if we met for this reason? that would it be a bad idea. And you get the person to be like, no, actually that wouldn't be a bad idea. And it, hey. it like that works so well. The one that I think is so weird that I see people talking about still is repeating the last three or four words of their sentence back to them. So if someone's Mirror. like, it, dude, it feels, I've tried it and it, it, it like, it feels so awkward when someone's like uh, on a cold, at least when you're prospecting, yeah. Yeah, it definitely works in the sales context, but the prospect and people keep saying like, so if the person's like, Hey, you know, I'm really busy. I'm about to run into a meeting. And you're like, about to run into a meeting? It, that always gets a bad response. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm busy, dude. I, I got to take off. You know, it reminds me of the scene in 40 Year Old Virgin when he goes into the library or the bookstore to talk to the woman and he's like being super weird and repeating back the stuff. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, anyways, I digress. So <laughs> <laughs> the explain like, like I'm five. Um, one quick thing before we move on. Could you, provide an example of like, what's an example of if you were to say something 
in your space, the really jargon-filled technical way versus the explaining it to a five-year-old way? What is that? What does that sound like? So hang on, let me let me pull up one of my emails. This is, by the way, I think this is the thing people that we work with struggle with the most. And it's something I struggle with sometimes too, where I'm like, do we have to describe what we do at Blissful Prospecting any more complicated than we help you set more meetings from your cold emails and your cold calls? Like, does it have to be anything more than that, you know? Yeah. So, so one of the clients I worked with was in Active Directory Security, um, <laughs> which is really- We had one of those clients actually in Active Directory. So I'm like- just a tiny bit familiar with uh, some of the yeah. So essentially what they do is they help companies identify holes in their active directory due to misconfiguration and ultimately help them remediate them as quickly as possible. So what would be a bad example of explaining going th- that <laughs> going through and explaining like all the misconfigurations and things that we look for, like going through, like we help companies identify privilege or uh, privilege misconfigurations to prevent attack paths and uh, DC shadow attacks and help secure or enable security teams by giving them like all this extra yeah, stuff like, that ah. doesn't really matter. Yeah, you just go through and it's like, you can take like 60% of that out. Like, hey, we help you find holes in your active directory and fix them as quickly as possible so people don't use them to get in. I even understand what that means. And I don't even know, like, I know what Active Directory is, but I don't really know what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, it's a really important thing because like the Active yeah. Directory holds like all the user privileges for an organization. So if somebody gets into that, ultimately they can take all your stuff. Or the big thing with Active Directory is actually uh, ransomware. And it ultimately just holds all your, there was actually a company, I can't remember, I think it was... No, I don't want to say because and to be wrong. Uh, but there was a company recently I saw that they actually had an Active Directory ransomware attack. So I think they had to pay out like $250,000 in Bitcoin to get their stuff back. <laughs> what the? Being held for ransom through Bitcoin, that's hilarious, dude. Yep. So, so the second part of this is knowing the challenges. How much of this explaining it like uh, to a five-year-old has to do with the challenge? Are you incorporating your understanding of the challenge into how you explain something or where does, where does this come in? I think ultimately like it's with active with this example, with active directory, it's a lot more focused on people don't want to touch it because if something breaks, uh, then everything breaks, which Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing. Like you just address that. Like, Hey, a lot of people don't really want to mess with their active directory because if you do and you break something, it it's downtime. So it's just one of those things like nobody wants to mess with the active directory in the fear of breaking something and everything going down. Ultimately, like one of the value points was this it requires no downtime of, of any of any active directory related piece of equipment. It's just a you install and you go type of thing. Like there's no downtime. So ultimately it's that was one of the things um, trying to think on the that was more on the the infrastructure side the security side i think it was ultimately like you don't have to be an active directory expert to be able to fix these problems yeah and that was a big it's thing so it's easy to understand yeah it's like that was the big thing is like um no nobody on the security side wants to touch active directory because they don't know all the active directory language well this is plain english and it tells you exactly where to find it and what you got to do so it's like do what you need simple. to know without knowing the language. Yeah, exactly. It's a very simple thing for anyone that's in that technical position. Like that's a challenge that they're running across. So how did you find out? Because this is the second part to it is you're talking to that challenge and speaking in very simple terms. But some people miss the mark on what the big challenge actually is because you're not doing the job of the people right. typically that you're selling to. So what was the process for understanding what these people are actually going through? Like what the actual problem is? How do you actually find that out? Uh, I have what I would call cheat codes. Um, (laughs) My dad is actually uh, in cybersecurity. Um, He's actually a security advisor. Oh, (laughs) So (laughs) I have a little bit of a a leg up on that because like, if it's like, I don't understand like how this really applies, uh, I'll ask him. Be like, hey, if if I told you you could do this, would you understand what I'm talking about? Or like, if I turned around, it's like, hey, I'm reaching out to these people. Like, what's the issue with something surrounding this type of solution? Like, what would what would be a problem this person would have and need this solution for? And he'll tell me. <laughs> so, 
I would like to say I have cheat codes. It's like um, God mode in, in your yeah, video. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, ultimately, like I said, it was, it's either sitting down with the client and really establishing like the, 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 the people that they want to reach out to and drilling into two to three challenges um, that those people would face and being able to word those challenges simply because it's like a lot of companies, they, they take something that could be worded simple and make it complicated. So it's like they give you the challenge and then I can't remember them off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But ultimately it's, it's, I take it upon myself to just be able to what I call wordsmithing um, and make it simpler to understand and address in an email because it's like, ultimately you take a two sentence challenge and you can take out all the fluff words and make it a sentence. So it's like rule of thumb for emails is like four sentences. So how do you, um, do you have like a cheat sheet or something with this stuff written down for a quick, like how do you reference this stuff in terms of what? Yeah. Like when you're going to make a, send an email to a certain persona or you're about to make a call, do you have this stuff written out somewhere? Like how do you collect the information and reference it and all that other stuff? Uh, I actually, I have a bunch of different Google docs for multiple things. Um, and I'll just take like one liner notes and stuff or anything like keywords or something I'll find on, while doing research or prospecting on LinkedIn, um, I'll put it in there. And it's like, ultimately, and I'll even put incorporate some of the stuff. Like if I find something that's actually juicy, um, I'll even incorporate it into my call guide. Um, so when I'm making calls and I have that as a reference um, to a particular persona, because I'll make different scripts for different people just because I'm anal. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll use that as a reference. And it's like, ultimately, I try to, obviously, you don't want to read the script. but I try to make it as close to the script as possible while sounding conversational. And ultimately, like I said, it also drills into product knowledge. So you don't want to put all your product knowledge in your script. And that's where it becomes conversational if they start asking you questions. Um, but yeah, I have, <laughs> I have a scary amount of Google Docs um, that I use as reference points. So it sounds like you almost have like a library that you've built. Anytime you find something that you know is like, oh, that's like really good. If I said this in a call and called out this challenge, that would probably really resonate with that person. Like you're keeping kind of these one-liners handy. Exactly. And those one-liners are things that you're finding that they, in their language, it sounds like things that yeah. they talk about or they do you, do you take note of stuff that maybe comes up in cold calls too, when you're talking to people or how they might respond to emails if they share something? Yep. Uh, how they respond to emails. Um, even cause I'll sit in on, on the, on the initial discovery calls. So that's, that's where a lot of my information comes from. And I think that's a lot of, I don't know if it's an issue in, in the sales development world with sales development reps, not being able to sit on discovery calls with their AEs and sales engineers, but that's where I get a lot of information is ultimately like you hear how the sales engineers communicate the product. And then if you hear something cool, even though it might sound complicated, you take it and make it simple. Um, or if, um, if the prospect says something or they ask a question that you've never heard anybody ask before or bring up um, like a deployment thing that you've never heard somebody ask before, a lot of people care in the security world how things are deployed. Yep. Um, so it's one of those things. Like if you, if you sit on your calls, like that's like the main place where you can get information. Um, most of my stuff comes from there, but I'll, I would say a, a, probably maybe like 25% of the stuff comes from like looking at people's job responsibilities on LinkedIn and, obviously creeping on posts because salespeople are creepy and we do that. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say if you have the chance as an SDR to sit on your calls, like the initial discovery call that you booked for your AE, do it because you will learn so much. Yeah. I mean, most people, even if you don't get a chance to listen live, most of them are recorded these days with Gong That's or true. Chorus or Refract or Exact Vision or whatever. Even if you got to do it in your downtime, take an hour out of your week to listen to like three or four discovery calls. Exactly. Um, there's just like, whenever I work with a company, that's the first thing I ask for. If, you know, if they don't want us to interview their, their clients, which I prefer to do, just listening to the discovery is, you just get all kinds of goodies out of there. And I'm like, you guys aren't talking about any of this stuff in your emails or your calls or your, any of your outreach. And that's where the gold is. Yep. And I, I think that's a, I would say if, if you're not using that stuff, you're kind of selling yourself short. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Uh, okay. One quick thing before we move to the third part is how do you, uh, like when you approach sequencing, 
Can you just uh-huh. run us through the general framework of, do you like to email first? Do you like to use LinkedIn? Do you call first? Like what's the structure of how you like to, to sequence and, and spread out your messaging? At the beginning, I was actually using um, Sam Nelson's Agoji sequence. Yeah. Um, and I actually had mine set up to, I think mine was call then email. I think in the Agoji, it's email then call. I can't remember off the top of my head, so don't quote me on that. And Sam, please don't be mad at me for not knowing off the top of my head. Um, right. And now, actually, I recently read the book that was written about, actually, I listened to because can't pay attention to reading long enough to read um the book that was written around justin michael and combo prospecting so it's like uh back to back to back touches so it's ultimately you're trying to drive a response um and in a sequencer now the way i have it set up is um off of trigger events so it's like ultimately you're not anticipating that somebody responds to an email on the first touch like that's just not something you do um if it happens cool um but usually it's it's a phone call, voicemail, email. Um, and sometimes I'll switch it up uh, and do like a, I won't leave a voicemail every time because that's weird. Um, so on the, on the times that I don't leave a voicemail, it's usually phone call, email, LinkedIn touch. Mm-hmm. So it's like ultimately you're trying to just get to the prospect on as many channels as possible while still being relevant. That's a, I think that's a thing with combo prospect thing that a lot of people might miss is you have to be pro- providing value. Like a lot of this is going to be deposit emails and deposit touches like resource, like providing resources um, and in general information they might not know about what you're trying to get them to talk to you about. Um, but within something like outreach, when you start doing combo prospecting, you start paying attention to the trigger events. So like there's a rule set in outreach that you can schedule tasks based off of how many times your email is opened. Yeah. So it's like, you're looking for that type of thing. Like if somebody opens your email three to four times, that's not the firewall. That's them opening your email. So like you might get a first open from a firewall firewall or like an email security tool checking the links in your email and or whatever attachments you might have sent. Don't do that on the first email. So it actually gets through that. Um, and then from there, you're just trying to follow the breadcrumbs in terms of the breadcrumbs that you left and paying attention to how they're interacting with those breadcrumbs to ultimately get in touch with that person. Do you use link tracking or no? Uh, yes. You do. I track, yeah. I track everything in emails once, once I actually start using those. Um, I don't usually do, yeah, I don't, I won't do links and attachments on the first email. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll do probably like off the top of my head, I think I only send like two to three with actual attachments, but that this is over the course of like 60 days. Yeah. So it's not How like they're getting, how many touches are they going to get over 60 days a range? I have, uh, I think the sequences that I used for one client had, I think it was 30. Woo. Yeah. It was a lot, but it's, it was yeah. primarily calls. So you're not yeah. flooding their inbox. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously calls are like, you're going to want to mix up your calls based on time of day. Like outreach gives you uh, the statistics behind when calls are answered, answered the most and, yep. uh, and emails too. So it's like paying attention to that type of stuff. Um, ultimately it gets really complicated, but learning the tools is probably the best way to optimize using the tools, um, which I think a lot of people, they just were trained on how to use the tool initially, but don't really dive deep into the settings and the information that it provides as well. Yeah. And outreach is a freaking that tool gets complicated real fast. Um, So it's funny what you mentioned about the Goji sequence. And I think everything is... You know, I think the point of them sharing that was not that like, oh, take this as gospel. It's just like, hey, here's what we use and it works. And I right. find that sequence to be very aggressive, you know, for yeah. most of the type of prospecting our clients do. Because it's like, I think all those touches, I think it's a 14-day sequence with like 20 touches or something. It's it's like insane. Yeah, but, something like um, that. Yeah. So it are you doing a triple touch every time? you go to reach out to the person or are there any solo touches that happen with like a phone or just email or is it, I'm going to hit them phone, email, LinkedIn or phone, voicemail, email every single time I go to 
actually I prefer not to be that aggressive. Okay. Um, I'll do triples depending on the level of interaction that I'm getting. Okay. If I'm just getting, if I'm not getting any interaction or if I'm just getting like a singular open or something along those lines, um, then I'll hit him with like another follow-up email or I'll do a phone call and an email just to try and get him on the phone. If I saw that they opened my email, I'll follow up with another email. Um, and depending on what the content was, either send like some form of like, hey, thought you might be interested in these resources behind yada, 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 and just leave it at that and not really like go for an ask or anything. Like I try not to ask, like I think asking for a meeting on every email is a little much. much so yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'll just do like some some resource, some resources. I'll send a meme every now and then, but I try to just make it as low committal as possible um, on some of the emails because I've had issues in the past where I've been too aggressive and it ultimately bites me. So. Gotcha. So very low commitment asks, and it sounds like you're, you know, as I think Josh Braun uses the term that with the deposits, you're making yeah. deposits. Um, love it. So, okay, let's get into this last part here before we run out of time. You said the third part was having people you can bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. Did you come up with that idea or like, how did you end up getting a group of people together? And like, what do you, how do you recommend someone get started with that? And like, how do you get feedback from people? What does it, what does it look like? I, I think I can blame most of that on my personality type because I hate being wrong and I hate not knowing things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and ultimately that's just something about me as a person. I think there's a lot of people that, um, I don't want to say they're scared to ask questions. I, I feel like they might not know what questions to ask. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, but with me, it, when I get into something, it's like, I want to know as much about this as I possibly can to be as good as possible in the future. Like I did it with video games. I do it with working out. I do it and I did it with this. Um, and it was one of those things, like, like I said, it was, it was kind of looking at LinkedIn to see who people I knew were following and then maybe establishing a set amount of hashtags or thing or hashtags. Is that what it is? Hashtag? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I'm not hip, I guess. Um, <laughs> establishing hashtags, like when I started, when I first started, I was like sales, sales coaching, uh, cold emails, prospecting, and then ultimately like people like Dale started popping up in my feed because he was posting things with sales coaching and sales and prospecting. Um, and then Amy and Justin, like it just kind of like was like a waterfall of people. So it was like trying to find the people that was that were under those hashtags that kind of resonated with the way I wanted to take the my approach to prospecting and outreach and things like that, um, and kind of getting away from the like I said the ABC mindset. It's like these people aren't going for always be closing. Like they're not just trying to get a commission check. They're trying to actually help the people that they're selling to. And it's like, ultimately, mm -hmm. that was what I wanted to embody when I was reaching out to people. Like, I didn't want people to think I was just trying to get a meeting with them so I could get paid. Like, no. I wanted people to, like, read my copy, listen to me on the phone and talk to me and actually feel like they were going to get some form of help after interacting with me. Um, and I think, ultimately, establishing a relationship with those people goes back to the honesty portion. It's like, when I reached out to Dale, I was like, hey, I just told him I was new. I was like, hey, I'm a new kid in the sales development and sales space. I really like what you're, what you're talking about on your posts. Um, and I even, I think I referenced one of his posts when I connected with him on LinkedIn. Um, I, and I just asked him, I was like, can I pick your brain sometime and maybe learn a little bit more about how you are going about what you're doing? And it's like just being honest and asking a question. Um, ultimately people can say no. And that's the, it's the same with prospecting and trying to book meetings or make sales. People can say no. And it's, taking that and knowing that that makes you take the first step into reaching out to whether it be a prospect or somebody you're trying to learn from. And it sounds like this peer group is a really key part to your ability to test new ideas and sort of probably get through a bit of the learning curve faster. Exactly. So that the first time you test it is not live with prospects and getting people like that's the part that's hard with emails is that if they're not good, people usually just don't respond to them. So you don't know what's good or bad about it or what people like or didn't like. And that's the, that's the hardest part with email in my opinion. Exactly. And it just, yeah, exactly. It makes it take the learning curve because ultimately um, when I started training was being developed 
And like our office was brand new. I think we had like 10 people when I started. So ultimately, and that was kind of one of the things that I wanted to do recently was reduce the learning curve for the people that are being hired by us. So we've actually taken some of the resources that I've compiled, some of the stuff that I've learned, some of the stuff that other top performers have learned um, and put it into a resource package for when our new reps come out of onboarding. So it's like, here's everything you need to know, check it out and we'll work through it and talk through it within this time period of like you being new, learning your client, like uh, once they get their client, learn their product, learn their product, um, meet their product, I guess I should say, we -hmm. sit down and it's like we go through like how to develop emails, how to write the pitch. Um, Because we write all of our own emails, we write all of our own pitches and things like that. So it's like a lesson on writing copy. And then we get to train them on don't just be generic, that type of stuff. So Dude, this is something that I have not talked about at all on this podcast or really ever is this peer group. And it sounds like that's this is really big for you, man. So I appreciate you digging into this. And you got uh, one hell of a peer group there too with all the folks that you mentioned. So yeah, I honestly, cool. I feel I feel really lucky because mm-hmm. I know a lot of them do coaching. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you're getting free uh, coaching. <laughs> uh, like, I hate to say that because it makes me sound like a jerk, but it's like, but you're contributing too, though. You're sharing your yeah, ideas, man. Like, exactly. I, I do coaching. I learn just as much from interviewing folks like yourself um, as I do listening to folks like Dale, you know, for example. I learn exactly. just as much, sometimes more from people that are actually practically doing it out in their fields uh, every hour it's, of every day. You know what I it's, mean? It's the reciprocity that matters. Yep. No, absolutely, dude. Hey, this is great. We're out of time. Where do you want people to go to uh, connect with you, man? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the most the most active part. I think my oh, I was trying to click my LinkedIn profile. My LinkedIn is LinkedIn.com forward slash Chase the Dream. Yeah, we'll link up to it in the show notes as well. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Cool, appreciate it, man. One of the big tactics that I just love from this interview that. If you don't have it, I highly suggest that you find is a peer group or a focus group where you can run ideas by. Um, For me, that happens to be a couple people in my Slack group. So I'm in a Slack group with Rajiv Nathan and Liston Witherell and Jeff Bajoric, who have all been on the podcast. They're my go-to focus group. Um, Justin Michael's one of those people now that I'll throw ideas by. And it's really good to have people like that, that when you think of something that might be funny or like a unique approach. You have someone else you can run it by to get feedback so that you're not doing something that would just be way off color. So that's my big takeaway from that. Highly, highly suggest that you do it. And before you take off, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you enjoy this and got value, I'd love for you to leave a review. I want to continue getting on great guests like Steven. And one of the best ways to do that is to have reviews in the podcast so people can find it on iTunes. You can do that by searching for Blissful Prospecting Podcast in your podcast app or just going and scrolling down to the bottom, leaving a quick, honest review, or going to blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. Either way, we'll take you right there. Would really appreciate a review, and we'll talk to you soon.